I'm never going to apologize for winning. Breaks a tackle. Now another. He's oh. inside the five. He's into the end zone. Touchdown, MSU. He is sacked. Down he goes. Tyler Hoover breaks away from one tackle. He's at the 20, the 15, the 10. He's got speed. He's going to the end zone. Touchdown, MSU. You're listening to Impact Sports Radio. This is Spartan Red Zone with your host, Dan Tyler. What's good, East Lansing? One more time, shout out to my man Lou DeVizio for that sick intro. Also, big shout outs to DMX for providing the beat. I love it. Makes this the show that much more official. I am your host, Dan Tyler, and this is the Spartan Red Zone, as you just heard. This is going to be a little different of a format of show than I usually have since the Spartans are coming off of their second and last bye week of the year. Um, Instead of breaking down their last game like I normally do, I'm going to go over some of the Big Ten matchups that were important for the Legends Division title race. And then obviously add a little bit of preview for the Nebraska game coming up this weekend with some final words of my own about the Heisman Trophy race to cap things off. So let's get into some of the breakdowns of the Big Ten games this past week. Now, surprisingly, the first game that Spartan fans should have had their eye on was a Penn State and Minnesota game. Now, not many people would have predicted the Golden Gophers to still be in the Legends Division race this late in the season, but they've been playing inspired football as of late. Running back David Cobb led the way for them last Saturday with 139 yards on the ground and a touchdown, and their defense also stepped up in a huge way, holding Penn State scoreless in the second half. The final score was 24-10, and Minnesota has now won their last four games and are 8-2 and on the season. So look out for those Golden Gophers sneaking under the radar a lot. Now their two losses are in the Big Ten, however, putting them two games behind the Spartans in the division, in the Legends division, that is. So let's talk hypotheticals real quick and how they could possibly take the Legends crown from Michigan State. Now it's very unlikely, as Michigan State would have to lose their next two games, their next two road challenges, against Nebraska and Northwestern just to set up a tie-breaking matchup excuse me, in East Lansing for the last game of the season. Now, this would also have to be set up by a Minnesota victory over 22nd-ranked Wisconsin, not this upcoming weekend, but next week as they have a bye week. Minnesota would also, they would also still need Nebraska to lose one of their two remaining games after their matchup with State this Saturday. Again, this is all very unlikely to happen, but I'm just reiterating that Minnesota is still very much in the title race. They need help and a lot of it, but this team is not to be slept on, especially with Michigan State capping off their season against them. Now, the second and more important game with division title implications last week was the Nebraska and Michigan matchup. I mentioned at the end of my show last week and also wrote an article on why us Spartan fans should have been rooting for our rivals in this game. Now, I like to think I inspired a few people to set aside their animosity towards the Wolverines, but in the end, it was all a futile effort. Uh, Michigan appeared to have a hangover loss after they got physically dominated in East Lansing the week before and suffered their first home loss under Brady Hoke by a score of 17-13. to Now, Michigan was leading 13-10 to late in an ugly game until Tommy Armstrong Jr. threw a shovel pass to running back Amir Abdullah to take a 17-13 lead with 2 minutes 3 seconds remaining. As I mentioned before, that would be the final score as Nebraska remained one game behind Michigan State in the Legends Division. A Nebraska loss here would have put them two games back and made things a whole lot easier for the Spartans. 
but sometimes you just got to do everything yourself. This sets up a monumental matchup between Michigan State and Nebraska and Lincoln this Saturday. Now after that, Nebraska still has two more winnable games against Penn State and Iowa. A win for Michigan State here will clinch them, excuse me, a share of the Legends title. Now this wouldn't guarantee them, however, a berth to the Big Ten Championship game. They could still be overtaken by Minnesota if they lost their last two games. Now I'll say it again, there are still a lot of hypotheticals that can be brought up when talking about the division race, but Michigan State is the only team in control of their destiny, which is a luxury that neither Minnesota nor Nebraska has. Now speaking of that Michigan State-Nebraska matchup, Let's go over the ins and outs of the big game this weekend. Now, the Cornhuskers come into the game 7-2 on the season and 4-1 in Big Ten play. They lost non-conference to UCLA 41-21 after blowing an 18-point lead they had early. Uh, Their lone conference loss was at Minnesota, those sneaky Golden Gophers I was talking about, by a score of 34-23. The common denominator of those two losses was strong quarterback play by their opponents, Both Brent Hundley of UCLA and Philip Nelson of Minnesota had three total touchdowns against Nebraska. So look for Connor Cook to try to get in there there, excuse me, and have a big game of his own against Nebraska this Saturday. Now the Cornhuskers have been bitten by the injury bug pretty bad this year, and especially on the offensive end. Fifth-year senior quarterback Taylor Martinez, seems like he's been playing there for 10 years, has been hurt most of the season and won't be playing again this weekend. So that makes redshirt freshman Tommy Armstrong Jr. the starting quarterback, and he's been receiving a little bit of help from senior Ron Kellogg III. Now, it's never easy for a freshman quarterback to take over a squad in the middle of the season, and definitely not when you play in a physical conference like the Big Ten. Uh, But things get exponentially more difficult when your offensive line is depleted due to injuries as well. Now, the Huskers' O-line has lost four out of six starters so far this season. Four out of six. And... That just makes things so much more difficult for Nebraska with a redshirt freshman starting quarterback coming in, playing in probably his toughest a game against the best defense in the nation. That just doesn't sound like a good scenario for a freshman quarterback. But he does get a little bit of help by junior running back Amir Abdullah. Um, he is leading the Big Ten and ranked fifth nationally, averaging just under 135 yards per game. But he's turned it up in conference play right after the loss of Martinez, averaging nearly 150 yards per game on the ground and is averaging 6.8 yards per carry, which are scary numbers. But let's talk a minute to talk about the brief history between these two teams. Uh, they first faced off in 1914, a Nebraska win. And they kept on going for there, winning the next six games. This is the only Big Ten team that Michigan State has never beaten. They are 0-7 against Nebraska. Now, ironically, Nebraska's head coach, Bo Pelini, his first win at Nebraska came in the 2003 Alamo Bowl against the Spartans as he was the interim coach for Frank Solich at the time. In that game, the Huskers' defense dominated as they went on to win 17-3. Now, these teams didn't match up again until 2011, but this time was a little different, as Nebraska was now a conference opponent playing in their first Big Ten season. However, the end result wasn't very different. Nebraska beat the 11th-ranked Spartans 24-3. Mark D'Antonio cited that the environment might have gotten to his guys a little bit in this game, and they might have been a little shell-shocked by not just the crowd, but also they had uh, the inside track, as they do this year in the Legends division. So... 
that could have gone a that win there could have gone a big way to them helping clinch that Legends Division title, but they just kind of didn't quite come to play when they really needed to. Now Michigan State looked for redemption last season at home, as they looked in control most of the game. They were leading twenty four to fourteen with seven minutes and two seconds remaining in the fourth quarter. But Taylor Martinez, that man who's injured this week, led them to two straight touchdowns, capping it off with a touchdown pass to Jamal Turner with six seconds remaining. Now, there's a little bit of controversy in this game. There was a 98-yard interception return by Darquez Denard, which was called back. A very questionable call. And then also, same guy, Darquez Denard, was called for pass interference on that last drive that Nebraska had in the end zone. A very questionable call, which was on a, this was on a third and goal. Uh, would have set up a big fourth down play. Instead, they got a fresh set of downs, some extra yardage, and capitalized on it, scoring a touchdown with six seconds left to win the game. You know, the officials definitely took it out of Michigan State's control a little bit last year, but what can you do? You just got to move on forward from that. So Michigan State is heading back into Lincoln this year under similar circumstances as 2011, excuse me. You're sitting atop the Legends division, as I mentioned before, and can greatly improve their chances at returning to Indianapolis with a big road win this Saturday. So let's break down some of the key matchups in this game. Uh, the most important matchup in my mind will be the Spartans' front seven on defense against the offensive line and backfield of Nebraska. Now, as I mentioned before, this group for Nebraska has been riddled with injuries. They have a host of inexperienced linemen after losing four to injury this season, along with a backup redshirt freshman calling the snaps at quarterback. Now, on the bright side for Husker fans, they have one of the best backs in the nation in Abdullah. Along with that, Armstrong Jr. is 5-0 and this season as the starting man, including a win last week in Ann Arbor where he led his team to a game-winning touchdown late in the fourth quarter. However, I fully expect their success to end this weekend against the Spartans. Now, Michigan State has the best defense in the nation and are especially phenomenal at starting the run, stopping the run, excuse me. They rank first in the nation in rush defense amongst many other stats and are allowing only 43.4 yards per game on the ground. That's a ridiculous stat. The next ranked defense, rushing defense, to put this in perspective a little bit, is Louisville, allowing 78 flat yards per game. So there's quite the gap there. Now, this is the worst nightmare for Nebraska at this point this season, in my humble opinion. The Huskers rank third in the Big Ten and 14th nationally with 246.8 rush yards per game. Pretty good numbers. And they're even more reliant on that rush game with Martinez gone. But I just think this is the wrong defense to be doing it against, and the numbers really don't lie. Uh, going back to last week for Nebraska, I was in attendance of their Michigan of their matchup against Michigan. And they don't trust Armstrong with airing the ball out at all. And if they didn't trust him going downfield against Michigan, there's no reason why they should trust him going against the Spartans' tough secondary. So all signs point to Nebraska trying to attempt to get the run game going more than usual this Saturday. And as stated before, they've lost four offensive linemen already. That alone is bad enough. To top that, Abdullah isn't a big or physical running back. He is... Listed as five foot nine, 190 pounds. I'm guessing that's a bit generous, though. So let's let's add everything up. Let's do the math a little bit. A defense who is absolutely bullying opposing offenses and allowing less than 50 rush yards per game, stacking up against a team who relies heavily on the run and more now than ever, 
since our starting quarterback went down, who also happens to have a banged-up offensive line, losing four out of six offensive linemen. This sounds like a recipe for disaster for the Huskers' offense. You know, they... They're not. I don't think they'll be able to stop the likes of Shalik Calhoun, of, of Ed Davis, those guys, Tyler Hoover on the line. And then you add people like Danikos Allen coming in off a linebacker like a bullet. I just don't think that there's any way that this offensive line is going to give young Armstrong enough time to get things going at all. And I think that if they're going to try to run the ball up the middle or even on the outsides, Abdullah is going to meet two, three, or four Spartan defenders forcing them to try to make plays with Armstrong. They don't have that much trust in him going downfield. And if you, you try to go downfield and, and he's not ready to, and he, he's an unproven passer, you know, you're throwing at people like Trey Wayans, at Darquez Denard, a potential All-American. And then let's not even mention the safeties. Drummond, Isaiah Lewis. You know, that's got to be that's got to be scary for a redshirt freshman and scary for Nebraska fans as well. So let's move on the other side of the ball for the next big matchup. I believe MSU's receivers will need to have a strong game against the Huskers' secondary. The quarterback for the Spartans, Connor Cook, has seemingly grown more mature each week with his receiving core, other than the Purdue Purdue game, that is. Uh, Namely, he has grown very comfortable with Benny Fowler, who's got a touchdown pass in four straight games. Uh, The Spartans' receivers have kind of taken turns having big games this Big Ten season, however. You know, one game Fowler will lead the way. The next, it's Tony Lippett coming up big. McGarrett Kings Jr. will get in the next game. And well, you know, you get the point. You know, these guys are all having a good game every other game, but they all haven't really put together one great combo effort. You know, it's really important this week that not just one of the crew comes to play, that, you know, they can get two or three guys getting involved solidly. Now, Nebraska's two really good corners in Stanley Jean-Baptiste and Siante Evans. Now, they combined for seven picks in the non-conference schedule, but they've had none since then. Uh, still, they're a very dangerous secondary, and the Spartans' receivers will need to come to play. They'll need to be physical. Uh, if, if Cook throws a questionable ball, they'll need to be physical and play some defense there because these two guys are talented enough to jump in there and pick it off. Uh, look for them to try to be cutting routes, creating turnovers to help out their offense a little bit because they know that they will need big stops. Connor Cook is going to need to be accurate. He's going to need to be strong in the pocket. But I think what is strongest of all is that the running game needs to get going. They need to get going early. And that's shout-outs to Jeremy Langford there. Uh, that's how this – that's the bread and butter of Michigan State essentially is, you know – they got to stick to the not pretty way of winning, which is what they're good at. Strong defense. I have no problem. I have no worries with what the defense can do. And get the running game going so Connor Cook can do what he needs to do in the passing game. Nothing spectacular. But, you know, get some good passing yards. Open it up a little bit. But speaking of all that, of the running game, that is, one last thing to watch for during the game is how the Michigan State offensive line matches up with the pass rush of Nebraska. Now, while Michigan State owns the top spot in the Big Ten for most offensive categories, Nebraska is the team who ranks first in sacks and tackles for loss per game this year. Now, this might have been more of a worry last season and previous seasons for the Spartans. 
you know, with offensive line injuries and inconsistencies and switching pieces and everything. But this unit has been solid this year. They've provided great protection for Connor Cook. They've opened up holes for Langford and Delton Williams and Nick Hill in that whole running game. You know, they've stayed fairly healthy, healthier than in recent years, and they're looking really good. So I think that, you know, this battle up against a good defensive line that Nebraska has, a good front seven, honestly, that Nebraska has, it's it's going to be, it's it's a battle that could go either way. But I expect the Spartans line to be consistent enough, as I have been all season, to get Jeremy Langford and the rushing attack going enough early in the game so they can let their defense do their thing. The defense is always going to be doing their thing. You know, let Connor Cook get a few passes going downfield after the running game has been brought up and has gotten rolling a little bit. Give Cook some confidence. Give the receiver some confidence. And just get the ball rolling because the defense is going to be stifling all game. You know that. And if, if the offense can get a little bit of a rhythm early on, which they have failed to do in most games, you know, their their first quarters have been have been slow in almost every game this year. But if they can get the ball rolling a little bit, maybe not in the first quarter, but again, early in the second quarter, get a couple touchdown lead. I don't see that being something that our defense is gonna is gonna let up in any game this year, let alone to a team that is fully reliant on the run game, which we are more than adept at stopping. So with all that being said about the matchup, it's time for a score prediction. Now, this is a huge game for both teams. In the two years that there's been a Big Ten championship game, this is the battle between the two teams that have represented the Legends division. Obviously, 2011 with Michigan State going to it, and then last year, Nebraska getting absolutely blown out by Wisconsin, not really making the Legends division look that great. And this, these are, this is a game that Michigan State usually struggles with, you know, especially on the road. This is a game where it has huge division title implications. The team is looking a little weak. You know, Nebraska has, uh, has gone through a lot of injury problems. Michigan State is one of the hottest teams, not only in the Big Ten, but in the country. It's just kind of a game that, that we've seen Michigan State stub their toe on quite a bit. However, I'm not convinced that this Nebraska team is all that great. No, they had a big win against Michigan last week, but it was an ugly one. Just ugly. Now, Devin Gardner, Michigan's quarterback, played terrible, appearing to still be shell-shocked after getting sacked seven times by our Spartan defense. And not only that, but the Michigan offense was in a state of disarray. Offensive coordinator Al Borges ran maybe the most predictable offensive scheme I've seen in years. Uh, Point is... Michigan State will be a whole other animal than Michigan. And then other than uh, any team, I think that Nebraska has seen all season. You know, UCLA was a good opponent they faced. But Michigan State, I'm not going to say that they would beat UCLA. I don't know how those two teams match up. But I think that Michigan State is a much tougher matchup for Nebraska than UCLA or Minnesota or any other team that Nebraska has faced this season. Simply because... Michigan State is a team that is physical and won't back down from physicality and that their defense is absolutely stifling and is geared up to stop Nebraska's offense, essentially. Now, the Spartans are six-point favorites, but I believe that they're going to beat that spread. I'm going with a final score of 26-6 to as Michigan State will extend their streak of holding teams without a touchdown to four straight games. I think they will only allow two field goals to Nebraska here. 
So let's move on to my final words. Now, as I said in the beginning of the show, I'm turning my attention once again to the Heisman race a little bit. Now, if you heard me a few shows ago, I said why I believed Johnny Manziel should win the Heisman. And this is not any different. This is just another PSA about Johnny Manziel, if you want to consider it that. Now, after Oregon lost to Stanford last week, the Ducks quarterback Marcus Mariota is taking a bit of a dip in the Heisman rankings. You know, a lot of people had him as the front runner just because of his consistency and his lack of mistakes and interceptions he's had on the season. But he had a, he had a tough game, got banged up a little bit against Stanford. Now, Florida State quarterback Jameis Winston and the infamous Johnny Manziel are at the top of most expert rankings. But most people have Winston ranked above Manziel. So as everyone knows, Manziel's the incumbent, the winner of the Heisman Trophy last season, and has received a lot of negative attention for his party antics in the offseason. Now he's put up better numbers this year than his previous season, so far that is, but is widely regarded as the number two candidate to Winston. Now not only has Manziel improved his numbers from last year, but he's also put up better numbers than Winston against much stiffer competition. So let's take a look at the big categories here. Manziel has 3,313 passing yards on the season to Winston's 2,661. Manziel has 31 touchdowns to 11 interceptions, a slightly better ratio than Winston's 26 scores to 7 picks. Manziel owns a slightly better completion percentage as well, connecting on 73% of his passes compared to 69.2% from Winston. Now on top of the passing statistics, Manziel dominates Winston in the ground game. Absolutely dominates. My man Johnny has 611 yards and 8 touchdowns on the ground, much better than famous Jameis's 157 yards and 3 touchdowns. But anybody can look up those stats and rattle them off, and that is not my point, that his stats are better. Well, it's part of my point that his stats are better. But my my major point that I'm trying to get at is that I believe Manziel is getting less attention despite his great numbers this season due to his tumultuous offseason last year. You know, people saying he's partying too much. He's hungover at quarterback camps. He's not focused on football. Now, he's come out and shown that if that wasn't him focusing on football, he must have been doing something right because he's playing even better than last season when he won the Heisman Trophy. So now there are sexual assault allegations rising about not Manziel but Jameis Winston. And my question is, when does he pay for the negative image like Johnny has? You know, Manziel was accused of partying too much and allegedly, I'm using that as a key word, allegedly being hung over at the Manning quarterback camp in the summer. Now, Winston is, again, allegedly accused of sexual assault from 2012. He does have a couple witnesses coming out um, testifying on his behalf, but What's, what is the worst allegation here? A 20-year-old college student, Johnny Manziel, trying to have a good time like everyone else in college is. He's not the only person going to frat parties. He's not the only person you'll see out and about on the weekend. Or someone accused of sexual assault. That's not something that you hear from your average person. Now, I know when you're, when you're a big-time player, you have more of a target on your back and you're more susceptible to allegations like that. It's it sucks, it's rough, but that sometimes is just the life of a famous athlete. You know, you are 
easy prey for big stories like this. But you could say the same thing about Johnny Manziel. He had such a target on his back. Every single move of his was big-time news. He got kicked out of a frat party at Texas over the summer, and that was like headline news on SportsCenter. I'm sure people get, people get kicked out of frat parties in college at least four nights a week on the party nights, and, and you don't hear anything about it, obviously, because they're just a normal college student, but when you're Johnny Manziel, that's the number one story on SportsCenter. And they have people like Paul Feinbaum saying that he's like one of the worst things to happen ever in college sports because he went to a frat party and got kicked out. But again, my question is, what is what is the worst image or what is the worst accusation to have? Is it, is it worse to have the image of being a party boy in college, although that off-the-field stuff is obviously not affecting him on the field as he's having a better season? I'm going to say it again. He's having a better season than he did last year when he won the Heisman Trophy. Or is it worse being accused of sexual assault? Now, I'm not trying to condemn Winston. I'm, I'm a fan of his. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just wondering when America can get over the fact that Manziel isn't perfect. And look at the stats that he is putting up, which is what the Heisman Trophy is about. Now, maybe now that Jameis Winston has shown that he isn't Mother Teresa, people can lay off Johnny Manziel a little bit and realize he should be the clear-cut Heisman frontrunner. Now, I think Jameis Winston is a great great quarterback and he has a bright future but when it comes down to it you know he's he's had he's had a couple big games you know they played Clemson it's a big game other than that you know like Miami I'm not too convinced that Miami is a good team I thought they were pretty fake then you compare it with Johnny putting up over 500 yards of total offense against Alabama the kings of college football and I'm yeah, I'm going to say that they're the kings of college football. They're dominant in every way, shape, or form. And he plays, and overall, it's not like that's the only team he's played. He plays in the SEC, plays competition similar to that every week, while Winston gets off games, gets to play teams like Wake Forest and stuff like that. And you even look at Mariota, who might be out of the race now, but he gets to play teams like in the Pac-12, like Utah, that just aren't that good. The SEC is the dominant conference of college football. Johnny Manziel is putting up better numbers than these people in the SEC, or excuse me, in the ACC or the Pac-12 are putting up against their conference. I'm just waiting for America to lay off of him, partying a little bit, see what he's doing on the field is great and stuff that hasn't been done in a while. And, you know, hopefully the voters, when it comes down to it, assuming that Manziel keeps up what he's doing, and I don't see him stopping it because he's just a competitor out there on the field, you know, hopefully the voters will recognize that he, despite any off-the-field things that don't really matter in my mind to college football, he is the best player in college football this year, hands down. But that's uh, the end of my rant there about Johnny Manziel. You've been listening to the Spartan Red Zone. Once again, I'm your host, Dan Tyler. Hopefully Michigan State can pull out a big victory in Lincoln, Nebraska this Saturday and clinch at least a share of the Legends Division title. So I'm signing off now, East Lansing. Take it easy and go green.